You can remain standing for just one moment as we uh, read God's Word together. We're in Revelation chapter 2. As we've been looking at these two chapters together, uh, we're in Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 to 29. So let's hear the Word of God together this morning. And the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and the one who keeps my work until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when the earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, we uh, come to you. Knowing, God, I know that many are weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a, a load too heavy to bear. But God, we come to you as a refuge and we take all that we have and lay it before you. God, trusting that you are uh, the author of life, you are the source of strength, you are our comfort uh, in all kinds of trials. And so, Lord, uh, whatever it is that uh, we are facing, each person is facing today, God, we uh, know that we can come to you and lay it before you. God, we pray that uh, as your word speaks, words of comfort and words of challenge, God, that we would have, our, have eyes to see and ears to hear. God, may we be one of these churches that has an ear to hear what the Spirit says. So, Lord, speak to us today, even as you have for many, many years. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So that was my youngest that was just crying on the way out the door. Uh, she is not who I was going to start with today. I was going to start with my, my middle child. You may have seen Micah running around, hobbling around a little bit uh, in a cast for the last two Sundays. Uh, he fell down a, a ladder that uh, is on a tree house that I'm in the process of building. And yes, I feel terrible about it because uh, I built it. And he broke uh, two bones uh, in the top of his foot, on the middle part of his foot, I guess. Uh, he's in a cast for four weeks, and so you've seen him uh, hobbling around, actually not really any slower than he was uh, three weeks ago, uh, but he's, he's been doing great. Uh, he fell down that uh, ladder on a Thursday, and so Friday morning we got him in for an x-ray, but by the way the scheduling and timing all that worked, they didn't have time to, to get him to a cast until Monday. And so from Thursday to Monday, uh, he was just kind of living with an ace bandage and this you know broken foot, and after the first few hours of him, um, you know, just being upset, once he kind of calmed down, he was fine uh, as long as he didn't put any pressure on it. And so we spent the whole weekend of him crawling around, 
uh, you know, on his hands and knees or us carrying him somewhere uh, and that kind of thing. And it was, it was a long weekend, honestly. It was a very long weekend. He was here that day uh, in a stroller. And nobody thought anything about it, I guess. But he was being pushed around in a stroller just because he couldn't, he couldn't walk in that foot. And uh, it, was, it was remarkable because Monday morning, uh, we you know, take him. Sure enough, the doctor says, yep, it's broken. Going to need a cast for four weeks. And they take us to this uh, miracle room called the Cast Lab. And these ladies are just, I mean, they were, they were like poetry in motion building this cast around his foot. And uh, what was incredible is that, you know, he came in for the last three plus days, almost four days, you know, he, he could put, his, he could put uh, weight on his heel and he would kind of hobble around like that. But if he ever rolled to the ball of his foot, he immediately winced in pain. It would either fall or cry or something, you know. And, uh, and so these ladies for 10, at the most 15 minutes, have him laying on this, on this bed, his foot up, and they work their magic and build this cast out of, you know, this wrap stuff that then turns really hard. I don't have any idea how this works, but I'm watching it, and it's incredible. And sure enough, they put this little cushiony boot on the bottom of his cast, and they say, all right, get up, walk. And he, you know, you can see he's like nervous because he's done this all weekend, and he starts a little bit of pressure, a little bit of pressure, he stands on it, and he's like, wow. And he starts hobbling, and then he's like walking, and like within 15 minutes, he's running, you know. And he went from being incredibly tender. I mean, all weekend, when we tried to like, just, just wash his foot or check on it. The first doctor on Thursday, when he touched it, I mean, it was so tender. He'd scream and, oh, it just killed him, you know? To Monday at, you know, 15 minutes after they put the cast on it, it is, it is tough, right? It is tough. It went from tender to tough in the matter of just a few short minutes by the grace of God and the miracle of these ladies who know how to do a cast right. And it was, it was impressive uh, for me to watch from, from a, such a, a tender spot to go to such a tough spot. You know, we, that, that first week, he, uh, he and I wrestle all the time, and, and he, he's like, Dad, Dad, let's wrestle, let's wrestle. And I'm thinking, this is a terrible idea. You have one broken foot. For your, like, for your sake, this is a bad idea. Well, I learned a few minutes into wrestling, it was a bad idea, but not for his sake, but for my sake, because that thing is a weapon. That thing is so hard. And it's like, it's like cheating, because anytime he whipped that leg around, I just, you know, now I'm the one with something broken, you know? Just killing me. It's, it's something that was so, beforehand, was so tender, and now is so tough. Some, some things in life are tender, aren't they? they? They are sensitive. Handle with care. Fragile, right? Be, be really gentle with them. Other things are tough. Other things are hard. Other things are, are they're, they're, you, can't, you can't hurt them, right? You can't move them. No matter what you do, you can't budget. Some people are that way, aren't they? Some people are tender. Their, their disposition is to be gentle and to be tender. Other people are, are tough, and doesn't matter what you do to them, they're not, they're not budging. Some situations in life re- require us to be tender toward them. We should be sensitive to certain subjects and certain moments. And there, there are sometimes in life we got to be tough. Doesn't matter what your disposition is, you better be tough if you're going to make it through this thing, right? There are times in life, and it requires an incredible amount of wisdom, an incredible amount of spiritual maturity to know when to be tender and when to be tough. When to be tender, when to be tough. I think most of us probably have a kind of a, a disposition, a predisposition that we, in general, lean one way or the other. Some people are just the extremes. There is, there is no other. They're always tender or they're always tough and you can't get them to budge. Most of us probably just lean one way or the other. And with wisdom and spiritual guidance, we know and we can figure out and discern when we're supposed to be tender and when we're supposed to be tough. 
For us, uh, I think that's true as people. And I think it's also true of, of churches, of, of local groups of people. A group of people kind of develops a, a personality, and a local church can tend to be a little more tender and, and caring, or they can be a little more tough and, and, and structured and have that kind of heart. I think it happens for people, and it happens for churches. Jesus, in, his, in God's Word, calls us in certain situations to be tough, to be rigid, to be firm, in other situations to be tender. And for all of us, whatever way you may kind of naturally lean, we need to discern God's will to know when to be tender and when to be tough. We are using uh, this, these couple chapters in the book of Revelation, Revelation 2 and 3. We're studying them uh, on this series uh, that we're calling To the Ones Who Conquer. This word conquer that shows up eight times in these two chapters is the Greek word Nike. So we, we know that word. It means to conquer, to prevail, to overcome in the middle of a challenge. And, and if we're going to conquer, if we're going to prevail, then we've got to know when to be tender and when to be tough. Because there are certain situations that require one or the other. And to be the wrong one in the wrong place means we may fail. Conquering in life doesn't come uh, like Nike wants us to believe because you'll buy their shoes. If you run the fastest and jump the highest, right? You can win some medals that way, but it's not ultimately how you conquer in life. Jesus puts something else before us in this passage and all these around it about a different way to conquer. Jesus uh, says this a few different ways through this passage, but the first one I want you to see from Revelation chapter 2 is where where we're supposed to have uh, something that's tender is to have a tender heart. Uh, I want you to see this in this this letter to the church in Thyatira, that Jesus compliments growth in love. Jesus compliments growth in love. That's, That's a place you're supposed to be tender. You're supposed to be tender in your heart. We're supposed to be tender in the way we love other people. And this church in Thyatira was good at that. If you've been following along a lot of these churches, he says, here's something you're doing great. Here's something you're not doing so great. So here's something Thyatira was doing well. And if you're reading that word on the page and you're pronouncing Thyatira differently, that's fine. I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm rolling with Thyatira. So here we go. Uh, He says to that church in verse 19, I know your works your love and faith and service and patient endurance. Man, he's saying, I, I know you guys. You guys are tender in heart. You love people, and you love people well. You are caring for one another. You, you meet each other's needs. And this idea of service, it's a, the word for, uh, where we get the word for, for deacon, for serving, serving tables. It's not just for people inside the church. It's for anybody and everybody who has a need around you. That's, that's a picture of a healthy, loving church. This is the kind of church who has a, a soup kitchen, the kind of church who has a benevolence ministry, the kind of church who, when somebody is down, they bring them a meal and they pay a bill and they, they care for each other's needs. That's a church who is loving. They're not just meeting expectations or just following some kind of guidebook or handbook. No, they are loving. Loving doesn't, doesn't just, you know, okay, here's the rules on how to love, right? No, you you care. You're soft-hearted. You, when somebody's grieving, you grieve. When somebody's rejoicing, you rejoice. We know what love looks like. They're not just meeting bare minimums. They're going above and beyond. They're practicing the golden rule. The things that you want done to you. The things that would just be a blessing to you. That's the things you seek out to do to other people. That's a picture of a loving church. And Man, I, 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 think, this is, I think infinity is this. I, I watch the way you meet each other's needs and love one another. Everybody that visits talks about this welcoming group at the door. You know, I mean, we just, it, we are, are meant to be and we're called to be 
a loving church. And Thyatira, it's not just that they are loving, it's they are even more loving than they used to be. The end of verse 19 says, and that your latter works exceed the first. So they are growing in love. They used to be a little bit loving, and then they were a little more loving, and now they're even more loving. Their, their trajectory is going in the right direction when it comes to having a tender heart, to being caring and concerned for one another. They're not stagnant, and truthfully, nobody really is. You're probably either growing or declining, right, in, in everything. But in, in, when it comes to their love, they're not stagnant, they're not declining. They are getting more and more loving. I, I just want to put that before you and ask, is, is that true of you? Can, can you? can Jesus look to your life and compliment your growth in love? If you look back, sometimes it can be discouraging. Like if you think about just this week, a place you failed or, or something you're going through, and you're like, man, I didn't, I didn't do that right. But can you look back over the last two years, five years, ten years, what's the trajectory of your life when it comes to how you think about other people? Are you getting more selfish, more self-focused, more concerned with your own needs, or are you getting more generous, more loving, more serving, more kind toward others? Where's your heart? What's the trajectory for you as an individual? And for us as a church, we are the collection of individuals. We want to be that kind of church that's growing in love, that is tender-hearted and affectionate toward people who have a need. That's the place you've got to be tender. You've got to be tender in the heart. But as we're going to see to Thyatira, being tender in the heart doesn't mean we should be squishy in the head. <laughs> There's a place to be tender and affectionate, but the, the tendency could be, like in Thyatira, that a tender heart leads to being steamrolled when it comes to doctrine and truth. We're called to be tender in heart, but to be tough in mind, tough in doctrine, tough in truth. We need a tender heart, but a tough mind. Jesus compliments their growth in love, but Jesus judges those who justify immorality. He judges those who justify immorality. Immorality, things that are wrong, things that are not right. And this group of people is saying, it is right. <laughs> it's okay. They're taking certain sins, they're saying, this is good, when it is not. They have taken something they should have been rigid in and said, this is truth and you can't change it. And they have become squishy. And they've changed what they believe. Verse 20 says this, I have this against you, Thyatira, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual morality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. So yes, have a tender heart, but also have a tough Mind, And I'm borrowing these, these phrases uh, from a, a sermon preached by Martin Luther King Jr. On, on Matthew 10, 16. That verse says, Be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And so when he preached that, he said, We must combine a tough heart, uh, a, a, sorry, a tough mind and a tender heart. So a tough mind is one that stands firm on truth. So don't give in, don't give up truth, but continue to love other people. If you've been through, us, through with us uh, in the, this Conquer series, the very first church we looked at was the church at Ephesus. And, and Jesus, what he complimented there is that they stood firm on the truth. He said, you, you defend the truth. You fight off false teachers. But he said, this is what I have against you. You've abandoned your first love. They stopped loving God, and therefore they stopped loving their neighbor. They were good on truth, but they were bad on love. And Thyatira is the opposite. Thyatira is good on love. They care for people. But they are letting doctrine go and truth go whichever direction anybody wants to lead them. 
And so Jesus is calling out these, both these churches in opposite directions. Uh, at the risk of oversimplifying and overgeneralizing, we, we could compare the church in Ephesus to a, to a really uh, perverse and strong, strong, strong end of the spectrum for like a fundamentalist church that's, that's really, they got the doctrines all right. They got every detail. They're really deep in the word, and yet it hasn't gone the, the furthest distance, which is the, what, 18 inches from your head to your heart. You know, they, they got the information right. Whereas the church in Thyatira is like a uh, the progressive theology or liberal theology that says, hey, we're going to love everybody and we're going to just accept everybody just like you are and don't change anything and truth is relative and your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. We'll just all be a family. And, and to be God's people, we have to be able to do two things. We've got to be able to love people where they're at and hold firm to the truth to not leave people there. We've got to hold firm to what God says and not just interpret truth our way. So what was really going on in Thyatira? We get a, we get a little description here of, this, of this, this character, this Jezebel, but we also know from a little bit of the background, so I think I can paint this, this picture a little bit for you. We know a little bit about Thyatira. It's the smallest city of the seven given in this description. And uh, we, we know one person from there. Uh, her name was Lydia. It's a good name. Uh, we meet her. She lived in, in Philippi, but originally she's from Thyatira. And her job was a seller of purple goods or purple cloth. And that was common for that area. Thyatira was known for being a, a group of tradespeople, craftspeople. So there were metal workers and, and craftsmen and people who made dyes and cloths and, and, and wool and linen and all kinds of things. There were a group, all these different groups of tradespeople. And that was kind of the main industry it was around these different trades within the city of Thyatira. And from what we know from history, the way that these worked is that each of these trades had a, a guild or like a kind of a, a union of sorts and everybody who who did that one trade like tent making or dyeing purple cloth they were part of this this group this guild together and really that was the only way that anybody in that trade in that industry could make headway in the world if the guild was against you you weren't going to be able to to practice your trade you had to kind of work together to do this trade and that sounds like it would be good except for in this Roman world, Roman Empire, each of these trade guilds had a, a Roman god or goddess that they saw as the one who kind of oversaw their trade. So the, the, the woodworkers had their god, and the, 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 the people who made purple cloth had their god. And if you were going to be a part of that guild, then you were expected to participate in these festivals, these banquets they would have. And at this banquet, there would be a, a big sacrifice of an animal to this god or goddess. And part of participating in the banquet would be to come and they would take some of the meat from this sacrifice. And by you eating the meal, you are worshiping this false pagan god. And so the option for the Christian was, well, do I, do I go? And if I'm going to go with my other woodworkers and eat this meat, then, then I'm going against God. But if I don't go and I get kicked out of this guild, then how am I going to make a living? They were caught in a tough spot, weren't they? And the problem was that the banquet, it didn't stop with the meat. You keep reading, you figure out what was going on. You see, the, the meat at the banquet was just the beginning of the banquet. The banquet would often devolve into all kinds of sexual immorality afterwards as this feast continued on. So if you started one step and you would keep going and kind of fall down that, down that path. And so the Christians were really in a tough spot. Am I going to go after my work or am I going to stay true to God's word? Well... One lady had a solution. One prophetess had a solution. 
uh, <clears throat> they, get, they call her this figurative name, symbolic name of Jezebel. So in all likelihood, no Jewish person would have actually named their child Jezebel. Jezebel was a symbol of, of wickedness. And so what Jesus is probably doing is probably referring to a, a probably, not, probably not a group of teachers, although potentially probably one woman who was some kind of leading teacher, and she was wicked just like the Jezebel of the Old Testament. You find her story in First and Second Kings, where we read of the Israelite king Ahab, who married a woman named Jezebel. And this woman Jezebel was from a different land, so she worshipped another god, practiced immorality, and brought that to the people of Israel. And she chased after God's prophets, and she killed many of them. She, she uh, tried to persecute the prophet Elijah, and she even killed an, an innocent man, uh, Naboth, uh, just for the sake of giving his land to the king. I mean, this lady was wicked. And you know she was really wicked because the way that she is ultimately judged is that she is pushed out of a tower onto the ground and dies on the ground, trampled by horses and eaten by dogs. Like that gets recorded. Second Kings 9, I think it is. Like this is a brutal picture of a very wicked, wicked person. And Jesus is using that lady's name to describe what this false teacher is doing in Thyatira. Not a pretty picture. You'll also notice that I skipped this passage for Mother's Day last week <laughs> and came back to it today. Thought it would be better for today, you know. Not a pretty picture of this lady. And she is leading the church astray. And many of the people are going after her way. And you could see where this could come from. She, she apparently, by the way, verse 24 describes deep things, was saying, oh, I've got a, a new teaching, deep things of God. And maybe it went something like this. Hey, if, if you really know God, then you know it's really about your soul. It's not about your body. It's about having a relationship with God, not, not about what you do with your physical body. That doesn't matter. Ultimately, it's just about your soul. So as long as you, in your heart of hearts, know that you love God, it doesn't matter what you do with your body. So go to the festival. Be a part of the guild. Participate in the meat. Participate in the immorality that happens afterwards. It's okay as long as you know in your heart that you love God above everything else. Then you can do whatever with your body, and just as long as your heart is okay. You could see how there would be a temptation if somebody is, is, is proclaiming that. You could see how the Christians would say, that solves it all. I, I, I wish I'd have thought of that. And now they can, have, they can have everything. But of course, it's just a convenient way of believing a lie that makes life easier. Because they know that to be a Christian, to make a stand, sometimes it's going to cost you something. And for the Christians that were following this lady, they were following a false teaching. And we say, no. This isn't, this isn't okay. That's not how it goes. And we could, it doesn't take us very long to come from 2,000 years ago into today's world and see how that temptation shows up all the time. Hey, if you, just, if you just change what you believe, it'll make things easier. Sometimes it's a lot easier to change what you believe than to, to, to stick your hand up, to stick your head up, and to go against the grain, to go upstream, because that's going to cost you something if you go against the grain. It's far easier in today's world to change your theology than to stand against popular opinion. There's certainly been in every generation uh, different swings, different opinions around different issues, but specifically here, she mentions sexual immorality. I mean, I know we just, uh, you know, my parents' generation, generations before them, all kinds of issues, but it seems to me like this generation, the last 10, 20 years, maybe in just a few years uh, recently, that, that popular opinion is swinging really far on what's okay, what's acceptable when it comes to things like what we do with our body. 
what we do with our, with our, with our physical body. We, we think there's a, a mentality that says, you, it's your body, do what you want, but this is, this is a gift from God. Your, your body is a gift from God. You are not a disembodied soul. You, you have a body for a purpose, and the body is meant to honor God. So it becomes increasingly difficult, I think, in our society, especially when it comes uh, to things like sex and marriage and sexuality and gender, to stand on what the Bible says. It becomes increasingly hard uh, in our society. There's a dramatic shift in the tide, and it's not easy to go against the tide. Uh, and that's especially true because so often this issue is not just an out-there culture issue. It's a family issue. It's a close friend issue. And we're talking with close friends or family members who are wrestling with different beliefs or feelings or emotions when it comes to sexuality or gender or, or, or any kind of practice with our bodies, then there could be a lot of struggle. Maybe it's a loved one's wrestling with same-sex attraction or it's wrestling with their own gender identity. Then there's a, a, a difficulty there. And I want to call you to have a, a tender heart, to be affectionate, to be caring, to be loving, and at the same time to have a tough mind, to be firm in the truth. Most of the time today, the Christian teaching on, on sexuality isn't popular. It's going to cost you something to stand firm on God's Word on difficult issues like that. However, we know that the, the truest beauty, the, the greatest joy, the greatest purpose of our sexuality is never going to be going against the one who created it. The God who created our bodies and all of its intended uses and functions knows the way it's going to be used for the greatest glory and the greatest purpose and the greatest joy. He loves you. He's not keeping something better from you if you follow God's word. He has the greatest intentions for you. The Bible clearly gives a healthy, a description of a healthy, life-giving purpose of sex between man and a woman inside the covenant of marriage and only there. Only there. Within, the, within this one covenant is the only place where sex is not destructive or harmful. And yet the world wants to taint and, and shift and move the tide and move the truth about what, what we're supposed to do with our bodies. The rest of the world says, hey, that's, that's far too constraining, far too narrow. You've you got to get with the times. You've got to get with the, the rising tide of the changing, changing seasons. But I, I pray that as much as our hearts are tender, and affectionate and compassionate to everybody who's going through any kind of struggle like that, that we don't let that tender heart lead to a, a squishy theology. We, lead, we, keep, we stay firm, we stay true on, the, on, on what matters most, on what, the, what on God's Word says. It doesn't matter what year it is or what arguments people use, God's truth is God's truth. And the Bible is clear on our sexuality. Sex is one man, one woman, in the one flesh union of covenant until death do us part. That's the picture of human sexuality, according to the one who created it. And the most loving thing we can do, some people, some people hold, are you going to be truth person or are you going to be love person? We actually are doing both. When we hold firm to the truth, that is the most loving thing we can do, is to share God's truth with them. As parents, we, we know this, right? As we raise our kids, we know that it's loving to them to say, children, don't run in the street. <laughs> Don't play in the street. It would be unloving for us to say, yeah, go wherever you want. Doesn't matter what trucks are coming by. No, the loving thing to do is to protect them. Children, don't take that fork and put it in the electrical outlet. Like we know danger comes when they do things that are not good for them. And so when we stand on the truth, we are actually loving people the best. 
And the thing that gets thrown at us, you know, so many times, hey, it, who are we to judge? And we're like, yeah, you're right. We are not the judge. Jesus is. Jesus is. Verse 18, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire. In verse 23, he explains what those eyes do. He says, I am he who searches minds and hearts. Jesus sees and knows everything that ever happens. He, he searches not just what we do, but what we think, what we feel. He knows everything. He is the judge. And he is holy and righteous and pure and perfect. We can't go through life pretending like we get to make up the rules and we decide what's right and what's wrong. No, only Jesus does. He is holy and righteous. He is the judge. And he is the one, therefore, that has the authority to bring judgment for our actions. He says about Jezebel, this, this, this Jezebel-type figure in verse 21, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Jesus, Jesus had given her, some, we don't know what it was like, but some kind of warning, some kind of opportunity, a chance to stop going this way, and yet she refused to repent. If you're still standing today, which looks like all of you are, then you, you, are, you and I are given that opportunity. We have time to repent, but we're not promised tomorrow. All of us, as long as I mean, you, you are in church today or watching us online, you, you are getting the opportunity to come before the Lord and say, here's where my life is not in line with the way the truth of the Bible says it should be. This is our opportunity to turn from Him, and that is gracious. If we think we are the judge of the world, then we think we can do what we want when we want. But when we realize Jesus is the judge, then every moment we have to repent is a gift of grace. False teachers will try to justify immorality and say, hey, just keep living how you want. But Jesus is giving a clear warning that the judge is coming. The judge is coming. He says about this false uh, teacher, verse 22, I will throw her into her sickbed and those who commit adultery with her, and I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. There is judgment coming for sin. Perhaps the most, the most startling point is in verse 23, and he's talking about he, he, the, the spiritual followers of this woman. So the, when he talks, she talks about children, not her biological children. He's talking about how the people who are following after her teaching, that, she's, that these people are becoming like her in that they are following her. And it says about their, their children that he said, I will strike her children dead. So if we follow false teaching, if we give up on truth, there is judgment that is ultimately coming. And there is a real and serious warning here from the judge. But here in that same warning, God's grace, the judgment hasn't come yet. You're still here. You still have an opportunity. And so does every person who's still alive today. God's grace is so generous that he would, he would give us the truth of his word. And that at the first time that we commit a sin against him, which is like the first breath almost, you know, he doesn't immediately strike us dead. He gives us opportunity to come to know Him and to follow Him. And even more than just time, he, he gave us a way for that judgment, another way for that judgment to be satisfied. You see, all sin will ultimately be paid for, either by us or by what Christ has done for us on the cross. You see, the grace of the judge, the grace of God, is that yes, He absolutely is holy and righteous and has judged our sin. But for everybody who believes in him, that judgment doesn't ultimately fall on us. It fell on his own son. That Jesus was willing to take that judgment, to take the wrath of God, so that you and I don't have to spend eternity paying for our sin. The liberation that comes from Christ 
is because He has taken away our condemnation and He has brought us to life in Him. Some people come to God's standards and say, hey, that's, that's way too hard, that's way too challenging, I could never do it. But in reality, His, his standards are, are very gracious. They're very gracious. Uh, trying to live below His standards is actually a, a lesser joy. We would not be enjoying the fullness of life if we weren't following His standards. And more than that, His standards, He says, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. His burden is light and His yoke is easy. He says in verse 24, I do not lay on you any other burden. This is a, a, a probably a reference back to Acts 15. They're facing the same issue about Gentile Christians. They're going to have to follow all the Old Testament laws. You want to talk about a burden? It's trying to live up to all the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. And he says, this is not the burden. This is not where salvation is. This is what it looks like to follow Christ. Know Him and let that change the way your heart works. And if your heart loves Him, then your heart's not going to be sacrificing to idols. Your heart's not going to be being unfaithful to a spouse. Your heart is going to be following Christ in all things. Salvation comes when we trust in Jesus. And when we trust Him, then our bodies are going to follow. What we do with our bodies is going to follow. It's impossible to believe in Jesus wholly, to treasure Him above all else, and then to be living a lifestyle of sin apart from Christ. If we truly love Him, he, when, we, when we hear the truth, we want to repent. And that repentance is not a burden. It is liberating. It's liberating. So Jesus shares uh, with us that freedom, that, that liberation, when He gives us not a burden, but instead He shares with us an authority in heaven. Jesus shares an authority, not a burden. We read in Revelation uh, 2.28, is, I will give Him the morning star. And that's a reference to Christ Himself that He will give us Himself. The morning star is this reference to Venus, the first star that comes up. And in Roman culture, that was a, uh, a sign of victory, of God, uh, the gods having uh, uh, conquered and they're sovereign over all. And He says, I, I am that morning star. I'm the one who reigns over all things. And for eternity, for all those who've turned from their sin, we get to participate in His kingdom. We get to be with Him forever. And so like all the letters in this series, it's a picture of hope. It's a picture of hope that we can be with Christ, not just today, but for all of eternity. When we conquer, when we prevail, when we stand fast in who He is. Conquering for today, conquering in this passage, looks like having a, a sharp, tough mind and a tender heart. To love people well and to hold fast to the truth. So keep a tender heart. Keep a tough mind. And if that's where you are, you'll conquer you'll conquer. Let's pray. Father, we look to your word, and God, we confess we so often go backwards on this. It's easy for us to not love our neighbor, but to love ourselves from a place of a hard heart. And it's easy to be bendable when it comes to truth, to have a soft mind instead of a tough mind. So God, we pray that somehow, some way, you would, by your Spirit, transform our lives to be who you intended us to be. God, call us and lead us and guide us to have a tender, loving, affectionate heart, but to have a firm, strong, tough mind, to stand firm where you call us to stand firm, and to love whom you call us to love. Father, we know that for many who are facing challenges and obstacles, uh, having that truth of your word is so comforting, knowing that you are who you say you are, that you are Lord over all, 
And so, God, we, we need you today. And we cling to the eternal hope we have in you. That forever and ever we will reign with you. If we can conquer, if we can hold fast to the faith in you. Lord, we pray that you'll bless this time. Call us to repentance in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.